hear the paper ruffling? I also don't know anyone that's ever really called the paper by the actual title. They usually just call it the paper. You don't ever hear someone like running onto a flight. I need to grab my New York Times. I need to grab my Wall Street Journal. <laughs> they don't. They don't do that. Well, they should because I mean I think that 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 tells you a lot about their leanings. I think people should read papers from all all across the spectrum. Talking you know, about what if, papers they're reading, I'm talking about the way in which they announce which papers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I mean I think everyone should know what you. I think in our where we live, uh, if you say the paper, it most likely is the New York Times. Oh, so you felt the need to draw a distinction. I did. I did. Running upstairs to get the Wall Street. <laughs> the Wall Street Journal. Well, I mean, I think the Wall Street Journal gets um, actually <laughs> it gets a deserved rap uh, considering that crap with uh, with Joe Biden. Um, but there is a there is a reason I keep it in the house, and because I think that the journalist at the paper, at the uh, publication do um, do print some um, some pretty good. Um, to the point, um, factual reporting, um, and but I, I also have the New York Times, so I support I support both papers. I don't I don't believe a paper should have a left or a right leaning. I think papers should just report the news, um, you know, as as they feel as it's important to them. So stay out of the opinion pieces. <laughs> Interesting. It's a hard yeah, one. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't read opinion that often, although I think it's hard for it not to sneak in sometimes. Um, and I don't mean seeking out opinion pieces, but opinion getting into what you would hope would be an, object, an objective news story. Doesn't almost everything have some type of slant? It does. Well, I mean, that, I think that's um, interesting because, I mean, I have Tuesday's paper. Um, New York Times is the Science Times, um, which has a really badass um, – Two page, two page spread on uh, basically like a Q and A uh, for the Corona vaccine, or two COVID's vaccine, depending on um, which one. So they do one through AstraZeneca, Moderna, um, and I think there's a third one. But uh, but that's, I mean, to their credit, that's that's what the New York Times has decided to focus on. Majority of the reporting uh, of late is COVID related, um, whereas the Wall Street Journal, being the money paper, has been reporting more heavily on the. Uh, on the relief bill uh, that the Congress has been trying to pass. So I'm saying by getting, by having both papers, I feel like I, I get better access because you get, I get, I, I almost get like the full story, which should, which ideally would be in a single paper, but because of the way that the papers lean towards their audiences, one is going to talk about the money in terms of funding and what's in the bill. And the other is going to talk about the, uh, social awareness of COVID and, and how the vaccine's progressing. So, you know, it's like you have to read both if you want to understand uh, sort of what's going on uh, in, a, in a full capacity. And you think those two factors, social versus finance, represents more of a 360 ideological view? I do. Okay. Why not? I just explained why, why, how it comes to bear, because I think that today's paper uh, gave you that stark contrast to uh, the differences between the two. And it shows that if you read both, you get basically the two biggest stories uh, that are currently going on. So, uh, so there is, I'm just saying there, there is some empirical evidence like right here based on today as to why it is good to have both papers. Well, cool. Um, so I have, I have like a packed agenda um, and it's, and it's a mishmash. But it's the Christmas episode. It's, it's, the Christmas <laughs> it's episode. a mishmash of everything we haven't covered in like the last four episodes. 
is it Christmas related? If it's not Christmas related, then it doesn't deserve. It doesn't belong in this week. Tell me to, to be are you telling me related. to put the Christ back in Christmas. I, I'm, t- I'm telling you to be holiday. I, I'm, t- I'm telling you to be more merry, to do some merriment. Do you want me to go it's grab some jingle bells man. while I talk, and I'll just shake them in the <laughs> background? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> At this point, that might help us. Listeners will be like, you know what? I don't really give a crap with what they're talking about. But man, does that man know how to ring a bell? You know, I will keep it. I will. I will start off the first one. The callback to the previous episode, and its Christmas relation is okay. is ice is 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 the frigid cold of the north. Okay, so we could do that as long as we get to the nine hundred dollar billion relief bill at some point. It's actually not on my list, so you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to bring that up. <laughs> but so uh, last time I had brought up a forty six thousand year old bird, and you scoffed at it because it was a small animal and so there was recently a new one found I scoffed at it because it looked like a bird it, it looked like a pigeon that was run over it was in the ice for forty six thousand years and it yeah, looked I'm like it, it died it, it looked like it got run over yesterday yeah that's my point yeah it, You're, it, that it, is it looked like it looked like someone was was punking everyone and they just ran over a pigeon threw it in a block of, threw it in a block of ice and buried it the fact that said, you- hey look <laughs> look everyone it's a pigeon Forty six thousand years so Maybe. a gold miner from the yukon found a fifty seven thousand year old female wolf pup in the permafrost Get out of here. And everything was intact except for his eyes. It's fur, it's teeth, it's soft tissues, everything but its eyes. That's it's incredible. The most complete mummy, uh, wolf mummy ever found, which I guess I kind of have seen that before. Um, and I assume that when they say mummy, it's just like the mummification of it, not necessarily a man-made process, Correct. but just what, the, what nature has done to it. Yeah. Interesting. And I wonder, so is, it just the, is that just the preservation of it? I believe so. Yeah, when they're using mummified in that in that like verb tense, then I think it's uh, it has to do with the natural order of things. That being said, I want you to answer a few questions of mine, uh, so that we're not looking at a uh, a poor puppy that was killed yesterday and thrown in a block of ice. I'm not, I'm not, I won't send you the uh, the picture. I won't send you. Yeah, <laughs> Yo, no, I, I want to see this picture because. Uh, well, here's my question. I thought fifty-seven thousand years ago. I mean, is is that is that not into the ice age? Like, are we not, are we not talking about like, um, you know, like almost like a dire wolf sort of scenario? Like, wouldn't this wolf be bigger than, than uh, uh, the wolves you would find today at that point? Well, when was the last ice age? I hope it doesn't bring up the movie. Uh, <laughs> the Raymond. lasted until, yeah, no, you're right. So uh, the last ice age concluded, it seems roughly 12,000 years ago. So this was during the the most recent ice age. Okay, so but I mean, is, is this a wolf that is is similar to a wolves of today, or is this like a you know an ice age wolf? I do not recall the species, but I'm combing through quickly. I mean. All yeah. I remember it saying it was a seven-week-old pup, one and a half pounds, female. I mean, this, this wolf does not look like it was run over yesterday. I mean, that this this wolf looks <laughs> this wolf looks pretty ancient. It looks like it's been through fifty-seven thousand years of permafrost. So, um, 
I'll give it to. Is this a result of climate change? By the way, is this because the the ice in the U? That's why, and that's the interesting. Yeah, that's the interesting thing is that all this stuff is coming to light because the permafrost, aptly named because we thought it would never melt, um, is melting and it's uncovering all of these things. This particular pup, they think, died when its den collapsed. Again, it was seven weeks old, and that's what the scientists or whoever uncovered it or are studying it or thinking. Um, and a lot of, and the interesting part of this is that, like I said, it's the most complete um, uh, wolf mummy that they've found to date. And normally things this older are fossilized by this time. So. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, this is impressive based on the so, picture alone. This is incredibly impressive. Yeah. You know, who knows what else we will find. It doesn't say, um, I don't see it saying what type of wolf it is. Dire wolves made famous by Game of Thrones. I don't know if that's there. Um, they've said they found bears and woolly mammoths. Oh, there it is. It's species. Oh, wait, no. This is talking about a bear. Sorry, this is going into a bear thing. No, that's fine. No, that's fine. We could, I mean, we don't have to dwell on it. I just wanted to, I just felt like that would be the natural question of any listener um, hearing about a 57,000-year-old wolf because we'd always expect them to be uh, a lot bigger than your modern wolf. Uh, you know, I, I, I was hoping that the article would say this is this wolf was only seven weeks old and it's the size of a fully grown adult, uh, you know, silverback today. You know, I mean, I, I don't know if silverbacks are actually. And like equate it with Tesla or something to give it scale. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, I, I, I think the interesting thing, and then this is part of what, um, you know, the, the deranged billionaires like to, to, to whine about, because if, you know, if, if the fabric of society collapses, so does their wealth. So there is uh, intrinsic uh, reason for, or at least a self-interest for, uh, for that class to at least, you know, try to stock up a, uh, some sort of uh, semblance of uh of of the natural order of things but what bill gates often talks about is the, the the diseases that are trapped in the ice and i guess i'm waiting for that that uh 57,000 year old homo sapien to uh to be discovered almost uh thawed to this point where uh you know they they unthaw it and then it, it has like its last gasp like it's its chest decompresses and it releases some <laughs> sort of <laughs> Some sort of mutant, you know, a, mutated a real life mummy's from, curse. Yeah, exactly. From eighty, you know, from fifty-seven thousand years ago, and it's uh, and it's something that the world has never known. And it's just you know, ripping through our fragile, our our, our fragile bodies because we're we're not used to uh, to dealing with uh, with whatever the viruses were back then, uh, with a harsher earth and a harsher climate. So uh, yeah, I'm waiting for that moment. So I guess it's coming because basically this is how it starts, right? You know, it's it's just like um, Jurassic Park, right? It started with the little, the little fly, and then all of a sudden you've got T Rexes running around. So I mean, uh, it, it started with the bird, then they found a wolf, uh, you know, and then, you know, then you know nearby they found a human den, and and in that den, <laughs> <laughs> it was a little child that uh, died of unknown causes. They just can't explain it. And then uh, that last gasp as it like the, it's chest decompresses from being held up by the ice. And, uh, and now I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's makings of a horror movie right there. Uh, well, <laughs> you know what? Uh, 
what was the outbreak right was it that there before the this pandemic uh outbreak so. was was trending when when i think the pandemic started yeah it was like the number one watched movie i think which i'm like why would you want to double down if if, if things are already as horrible as they are in real well they life, probably uh, weren't getting enough information from the white house so they were they were turning to other uh other media i'm just telling you right now if a big gelatinous glob came to life and started sucking up people i'm not going to turn on the blob i'll tell you that much i'm not gonna be like i wonder what that's really like you might want to you <laughs> might you might need some guidance and why not look to someone who's obviously given it given it some thought oh right you know? yeah it's, oh right oh well that that's that's quite an indictment uh, <laughs> to say hollywood has given it more thought than the people in charge but that 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 probably is the case so um, I wanted to bring something up. I had sent it to you and you, you pulled out, I think, the last paragraph of it, which was, I think, telling uh, if it wasn't just a narrative on our, uh, on our society. But it was about the innovative universal flu vaccine shows promise in first clinical test. Um, and basically, universal flu vaccine would be effective right. against any strain of the influenza virus that can affect humans. Um, so it's interesting, right? It's, it, it just attacks it in a different way. So taking it from that 30, 40, 50, 60% effectiveness and only for a few strains and bumping it up to all strains and to give us immunity. So that would be, that'd be pretty cool to do. And you had sent back to me, um, and I went back and, and, para, and, and grabbed it. Um, so I don't know if it's verbatim the text, but um, basically you called out the long development path Kramer, Kramer suspects, which I guess is the, the scientist involved in this, um, is the main reason his team lost an initial corporate partner, GlaxoSmithKline, which has another universal flu vaccine in clinical trials. It's difficult to get a lot of interest for something like this. And I guess basically saying, and this is what I took from it, it's going to take a long time to do so no one wants to invest in it if the money's not there. Is that kind of? I mean, I think that's what the article was intimating by, by including that quote. Um, I, but I, I mean, you could be more cynical than that. I mean, you could, you could, I mean, you could say from the point of view of Glaxo, um, they seem to be less interested in it because of the uh, the length of time that it may take to actually uh, bring this drug um, to fruition. But cynically, I mean, right now, if you're producing. Uh, a number of different uh, flu vaccines and you need to produce it uh, every single year. Uh, and, that, and I think last time you said, like you said, I didn't know this, but there are like two variants of it at times sometimes. Is that correct? Of what? Of the flu? The flu there's, vaccine? There's, more, the there's flu... more than that. So No, 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 no. But the, the flu vaccine, didn't you say they were like, you, you got um, four. The well, there's, there's, I think it depends on where you're getting it from. But, and again, uh, you know, keep me honest here, any, anyone that's listening. Um, but I think there mm -hmm. are normally two different vaccines that you can get. And one protects against, let's say, three strands and one against four. Mm -hmm. And you always want to go for what is commonly called the, the quad one, I think. Um, so okay. when you're getting your vaccine, um, you know, you should get one no matter what. But, you know, if you're looking to get the four, then ask them if it is the quad. Um, and you can look it up, I'm sure. But uh, I, I believe that there's always like two. You're right, but well, all right. So what I'm saying though is that cynically, I mean, if you have to develop this yearly, I mean, there is money to be made somewhere. Someone has to be purchasing these 
uh, these vaccines and and you're putting in, in the R&D and development uh, in order to get these vaccines purchased. I mean, you know, if you want to be truly cynical about it, it makes more sense not to have a universal vaccine uh, and to have all these variants as opposed to just the one. It goes for any kind of Why do we, Yeah. I mean, exactly. that goes for any cure. Saying. Yeah, exactly. I'm just saying, I mean, based on this article, clearly there is, there is, there is incentives uh, to go with some development over others. And all I was saying is that if we lived in a, uh, a utopia, uh, you would you 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 would hope that every every uh, divergent study, any any anybody who is close or or has an idea, would get the adequate amount of funding, regardless of how long it takes to bring to market. Just because we want to cure these things, and we want to just have as many opportunities as possible uh, when it when it comes down to um, to any kind of cure of, any, of, of basically any anything that ha- that currently plagues us. Um, uh, especially the flu, which plagues us yearly. So I mean, that, that's all I'm saying is that in an ideal society, uh, everyone would be getting a shot and it wouldn't be so difficult to, to, um, uh, to, to get that, that funding and backing. That's all. Yeah. I mean, I, cause governments would step in. That's what I'm trying to say. I mean, you, and, you and need it to be up ask, to the is private it the gover- Is it the government that's just funding the research to say, okay, private companies, you can make the revenues off of this but we are going to fund you to direct you to tell you what you're going to, what you're going to discover, like what you're going to research and create. I, I think or it I, like, well, that doesn't really work ends, because then they don't have any skin in the game at that point. The, the companies, if they're getting completely well, funded by the government, but how to your point, how are you directing the companies to, I don't know, quote unquote, do the right thing? to study the cure instead of, and we're not right. You, you, I don't think we, we do. I mean, I think it's a catch 22 because the, the NIH gets its directive as to uh, what are the, uh, the main focuses uh, in terms of like uh, what might be the most uh, dangerous uh, type of disease or what have you. And then they allocate the funding. So they basically say who, whoever wants this, this is the funding allocated to this type of research and whoever wants that funding, come and get it. And then, then various research groups need to uh, apply for those grants in order to begin the, re- the, the funding uh, on that type of research. But yeah, at some point, the government is basically setting the standard as to what is important. But and, uh, right. within, I mean, is that because the way that you described it would make sense in a way, but then if you, you know, scrape under the surface, they're fulfilling that mandate. Okay, the flu is a big deal. Well, they are researching the flu. They're doing it the way they've always done it. But no one's pushing them over the edge to do the, univer- the universal vaccine. So while they're operating under the guise of we are still, you know, the NIH has mandated that we research flu vaccines. We're doing that. We have our two ones. They're 30 to 60% effective. Um, but it's within that. Are you, what is motivating them, forcing them in a sense to seek out the best long-term uh, solution? And by when you say they, who are you referring to? Kind of in quotes because I don't know. But if you're saying that the NIH, so if you're, and I don't know how it works, but it seems like you, you know more than I do. Um, you're saying the NIH is the one prioritizing. And if they're prioritizing the flu, yeah. right? Uh, and that means companies go away and get their funding after they make their pitches for different flu stuff. And I assume it's vaccines. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't say what type of vaccine, you know, the ones that they use today versus this universal one. Mm-hmm. And so where's that extra degree of, um, I don't want to say influence or authority. I'm, I'm struggling for the word, but basically telling them, no, 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 it's flu. 
And it's this solution you're going to go after. Like you're going to go after the universal one. Here's the thing. I don't know. I don't know how you set those priorities. Cause I mean, I, I don't, there's so many, there's a lot of moving parts, especially when it comes to government contracts all over the place. And so uh, I can't tell you, cause I, I know that there is, I know that there are funding, there are organizations or like research departments that will apply for funding. And I think they can apply to the government. I think, I believe there is a, there should, I don't want to say it's general funding, but I, I, there is there there is the opportunity for a researcher to say, "I'm working on this. This is really groundbreaking. I need funding for this, and to get that funding without it specifically being allocated." So, like that funding might be towards something a little bit more generic, but then you're allowed to apply for a grant, and then you can get that money based on what you're doing. So, the, so I don't want to just blanketly say the government knows everything that is currently being worked on and allocating uh, money for each little thing, but the government will prioritize uh, any kind of uh, ailment that they do de- that they deem to be like significant. Like, for instance, what happened with COVID, where well, I mean. Uh, I mean, this is unprecedented in how this works, but that money that starts going, getting funneled into it is because the government is prioritizing COVID research over all other research at the moment. And so therefore it gets the lion's share of, of, of funding, if that makes any sense. So I mean, that, that's a part of it. I, I think we're, we're kind of straying away from like sort of what's going on here in terms of the universal flu vaccine. But, um, but the, I mean, this, this is a part of it. I think this is part of what makes it so difficult for, uh, like an average person just to sort of say like how does this work and, and and how should I be interested in how my government decides to spend money or what it decides to spend its money on because it's sort of hard to have a uh, we, we, it's like we can't really vote for a congressman to say I want you to help direct the NIH to to do more with um, with like leukemia or any or or, or, or childhood uh, cancer or things of that nature it's like people instead vote with their dollars and they donate directly to like um what's the not md anderson who's the what's the big children's uh hospital um for cancer uh saint jude's when people donate to saint jude's they're doing so because they want saint jude's to continue researching various childhood cancers uh independent of what the government is currently prioritizing as something that uh, we need to be directing most of our money towards. So, I mean, you have these competing interests. When people get involved, that's sort of what they're doing. They're saying, I want to vote with my dollars to say, I want this research to be allocated towards this because this is something that is either affected a loved one or affects people that I just don't want it to affect any longer. And so, you know, it's like we have so many competing strains in this country in terms of how we get these things done. So it's really difficult to uh, and yeah. Yeah, to narrow it down and say, you know, why aren't we doing this or why aren't we doing that? It's because it's like, it's it's a, it's like a, it's a throw crap at the wall approach at this point, and uh, and basically whoever gets the most money is is basically who's going to win out in terms of what gets covered and what what gets discovered. And I know there's differences between um, disease, certain diseases and viruses that a disease might cause or that might cause a disease, like you take in, for instance, cancer versus COVID or something. So I understand. Uh, at a high level, the differences between them, but look at all of the effort and focus put into COVID, and then what we we built, we we developed the vaccine in record time, um, as opposed to this like wide net approach or wider net approach of doing a bunch of different things simultaneously. Um, 
I guess I'm just asking the question with things that where it would make sense, maybe other viruses, wouldn't it make sense on an annual basis to just go all in on one thing, solve it and move on to the next? It would. Or- if someone's going to pay for it, right? I mean, that, that's, that, that's sort of the discussion that's currently happening right now in terms of COVID. The, the, the big, um, not, uh, uh, not detractor, but basically the big condemnation. The big condemnation that poorer countries currently have right now is that the wealthier countries are hoarding all the COVID vaccine because they paid for it. <laughs> they helped develop it and they bought it. So they're hoarding it. Uh, I think Canada right now is being accused as being the uh, largest hoarder of COVID vaccine per their population. So I think they have like uh, three times. I don't want to throw out it. They, they got two doses. They got the second dose. Well, they, well, yeah, they got more than the second dose. So I'm just saying per their population, I think they have more than they currently need. So, I mean, uh, there, there are definitely people out there. There are detractors. I mean, they, yeah, this is why things don't happen. So if, if something um, is affecting the southern nations, or or um, or you know, that's one way to, to basically say the nations without with that do not have as much money as the as Canada, U.S., uh, China, America, uh, you know, whatever, Japan, Russia, what have you. But uh, yeah, it, we do not go in and try to solve their their ailments with the same ferocity as we do when it, it's stuff that affects us. And yeah, like COVID was affecting us. If COVID was only affecting Africa, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't think we need to stretch and say we probably would not be, the vaccine would probably not exist in this, this record amount of time. It would probably be something that we would work on over a decade and eventually get around to if we ever got around to it. Yeah, I, I'm gonna I just mean, call a spade a spade with that. I mean, I don't think you need I don't to know. reach I don't, far for that one. I, it, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Um, did we do anything with Ebola? Did we? Did we fix that or <laughs> for that? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. This is things that we don't so, even so know. That's yeah, that's point. how ignorant that's I am. Not, well, but, I, just, but, yeah. but I don't want to agree with you out of ignorance because I don't know. I'm. I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. I could obviously take the cynical view, which is probably closer to reality than not. And say, yeah, if something doesn't impact American citizens, America doesn't um, invest money in it. Uh, and I think that's probably the case per your Canada example with every country. Um, is there any country that is altruistic in that way, that just does the right thing? I don't know. That, that, that spends money on a vaccine and gives it out equally and freely to the world? I, I don't know. Does that happen? Yeah, no, I, I, it doesn't. <laughs> For the most part, it doesn't. So, yeah, we, we could definitely you know, say that and leave it at that. But it's, it's, it is an issue and it, it, it is funny enough. It is part of the issue that uh, Bill and uh, Melinda Gates, the whole foundation tries to tackle is the, is that they're basically trying to say that because we are a global economy and there is so much travel from all over the world, we can no longer treat the world as if they, uh, as something that launches or something that is discovered in a small village on the, on the far side of the world will not eventually start to affect us. I mean, basically, I mean, they've been sort of sounding the alarm since Bill Gates started the foundation of this pandemic. You know, that this, you have a virus that starts in a small city that no one ever heard of, Wuhan. You know, I mean, I, sorry, I don't want to say that. I mean, I do. I've never heard of Wuhan. I, I think that you could, if you polled most Americans, we. I think I, I think everyone understands what you're saying. I've exactly never- right. I'm not trying to nothing to do with its importance to the exactly, world there's to the world there's yeah. places in the u.s i've never heard of there's exactly. places in my own state that i've never heard of exactly it's not a big deal right so to that to that to that effect someone just traveling outside of this this relatively small city 
you know, can impact this, this, the, the global society in, in, in this, in this way is, is something that people have been sort of trying to sound the alarm about is that no longer can any virus be contained simply because of the fact that people do not travel and, and it maintains its local, uh, you know, its localization uh, based on the fact that uh, this is where it was created and this is where it will eventually peter out. You know, it's just not a thing anymore. So it, it behooves us as, uh, the wealthier nations to pour money into um, into any kind of ailment or any kind of uh, disease that we find out there, regardless of whether it is impacting us or it is not, because it, at any point it can mutate and uh, and 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 yeah, it could go viral for uh, <laughs> without using you know yeah, and I with that pun. So I brought up Ebola because you know to your point, I thought we had worked on a vaccine and knowing that, you know, we may have a case here and there, it certainly isn't an outbreak. Um, if we even have cases here and there in this country, I honestly don't know. But to that point, I thought we had worked on that. And in a way, you know, we worked on eradicating a disease from another country that doesn't really harm us. Um, but with, I assume the idea of it could, um, and we had that scare during Obama. So, um, and I, I'm just doing a quick Google search, and it seems like Merck um, developed one, and the U.S. approved it last year in 2019. That's good to F know. FDA, first FDA-approved vaccine for the prevention of Ebola virus disease. Um, so uh, marking a critical milestone in public health preparedness and response. So, yeah, actually... Um, it's December 19th last year. So yeah, about a year ago. Um, so yeah, so we, I, I, and I, you know, am I cherry picking? Maybe it's also the only one I've really heard of. Um, I am not an infectious disease expert, but uh, it's thing. So we, that, that kind of stuff may be happening, but it's certainly not on the scale and th that I was kind of commenting on. I meant, you know, we have, we've been coming out with flu vaccines forever. Why not? just really focus on it and not like can we just knock it out in a year like we did with covid can we just divert all resources to that as many as needed and then say okay now we're done with the flu we have our universal flu vaccine what's next um we have a bullet done great like what's next like is are we dividing and conquering ourselves by saying all right we're going to spend just enough on the flu vaccine research to come out with the with what we think will be the the four most prominent strains next year um and then and then we're going to focus on 50 other things too and then everything's kind of done in a mediocre way rather than you know one and done let's move on i don't know and maybe i'm really simplifying the science i'm sure i am and it's insulting to everybody no but that's I mean, yeah yeah i mean simple simplifications are necessary in order to talk about uh big, you know, grand scale ideas. You mean, you, 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 if you get caught in the weeds, you'll never, you'll never, uh, you'll never get from under them. So it, that being said, I, I, I do believe that there is room to do things like to do these world building exercises, like what we've done with COVID. It's, it's just, again, it's all about that selfish nature. And it's sort of to your point about that, that idea of, um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, if there's a better phrasing for this, but that, that generational building where it's like, uh, we start something, but then the other generation continues it. And I think that that's good. That's always been the issue with us. Is generational goals. Generational goals. Exactly. Is that we, if we had not knocked out COVID, but let's say we get it to a point where it was manageable, uh, eventually uh, interest will, you know, d d 
divert and uh and and push us on to the next uh great thing and uh and then you just start forgetting about what was the initial intention uh of any of any big scale project i mean i'm just saying similar thing happened to the moon i mean we we were reading about that we were we could harken back to that not to uh, completely go off of, of infectious disease. But, you know, the idea of the moon landing was not to end at the moon. The whole start of that project was to go to Mars. But we we got to the moon, everyone was sort of satisfied with it, and then generations come, and then they start diverting resources and diverting money, and everyone forgets what the original goal of the project uh, initially was. The same thing happens to infectious disease, I feel. It's like at some point someone says we need to do this and if we do not finish it within the generation that originally set out to 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 do the thing, it the water the water gets murky and people eventually just forget why we're even starting this to begin with and then you start just cutting funding, which might have happened to the flu. If at some point someone might have actually wanted to come out and do a flu vaccine like like that would eradicate it, and then they came up with something that just simply stops it from season to season, and everyone was sort of like, yeah, that's probably good enough, and we can divert money elsewhere. I wonder if it's, um, I wonder if it's because people aren't aware of what they get out of it. The for them, it's the excitement of accomplishment. We went to the moon. Can you believe that thing we've been staring at our entire lives, and we actually were able to go there, travel there, walk around, take pictures, and come back? It's amazing. But then, where do you go from there? Another planet? Whoop de doo! It's another one. It's uh, you know, it's not distinct to them. But if they understood the journey was providing spin-off technologies for them, uh, and then they understood benefiting personally from them, um, what that type of endeavor means. Uh, they would want more of it. Oh, okay, keep going other places. Keep, you know, venturing out into space. Do your tests and come back and commercialize all that stuff. And they were really like, you know, um, plugged in to those to those advancements. Again, I don't know. Maybe for the tech type person, that would be interesting. But maybe that would help um, drive public interest because right now, you know, sending a bunch of um, aces up to up to a celestial body to to play in the dirt, um, and then come back, and it costs you know billions of dollars, and you got to wait on a food line or something. Um, I can see how that may not go over well, uh, but understanding you know we have our MRI machines, and we That's have a good point. Um, I don't know, just a bunch of a bunch of things, and everywhere from an MRI machine to your to your Velcro and glow in the dark stuff. Uh, right, right. There's, there's it's all over the place, but. I don't know. Like, I, it's, it goes back to an earlier episode. Like, contact you, people, lenses. Contact you, lenses. Let's not forget about that. That's out of the space program. There you go. I didn't even know that. So there you go. Um, and I, I mean, wait. I do want to wait. I'm trying to remember. It's either out of World War II or the space program. It might not. <laughs> it, <laughs> I, know, I know the story is that they found glass in World War II fighter pilots' eyes, and they realized it wasn't affecting them. And I cannot remember if it was because they were testing them for... Uh, to go into the to the astronaut program or not, but all right. Anyway, my point is that we get technology unintended technology out of endeavors all the time. So yeah, that's to you. Yeah, point. I mean, when I went to um, the Kennedy Space Center, uh, they give you. I went on their tour, and they give you a pamphlet, and it's a pamphlet of all the spinoff technology. And I remember I saved it. I still have it somewhere, and I thought it was amazing. And I'm like, how come? You know, I'm in my twenties. Why didn't I know about this before? Like, why isn't this all common knowledge? Um, and I can't help but every once in a while thinking about it and then, you know, talking about this now, I was, I was genuinely excited and um, you had a sense of respect uh, for, for what they were doing and what it meant, GPS technology, all that kind of stuff. So I, uh, I don't know, I just, 
wonder what impact it would have on people's perception of NASA and what they're accomplishing and what they're set to accomplish if they understood what it meant for them. Uh, I was originally going to bring up an example of a multi-generational goal that I've said before, which is cathedral building, but I think the driver behind that was quite different and the people didn't have a whole lot of say. Um, but that's an example, but it's a yeah. great example of something that you can accomplish over long periods of time, but also mm -hmm. in a flexible way, because rarely did those churches end up like their initial drawings, because each new generation, each new pope or whoever it was, bishop, I don't know, the people in charge of those individual cathedrals, they put their own spin on it. They, they adjusted the plans. And, you know, how great would it have been if something like our constitution, not to go off of off the rails here, but was a multi-generational goal in a way where you had your conventions like you've brought up before. And each yeah, generation yeah. kind of puts their own spin on it to make sure that it speaks to them. Uh, so, mm -hmm. you know, I don't see why we can't cherry pick I, even that's, and, and just say like, yeah, this is what the, we want. I mean, I feel like, but that's a more immediate, that's that, that effect is immediately felt. And, and that's the, that's the, uh, the issue we're dealing with here is the fact that it's very difficult to get people on board with something they may, they themselves may never fully experience. And I think that that's really, but what the journey, right? That's our big hurdle. And that's here. kind of why I said cherry pick because you have the cathedral example that'll show you what you can get in the now um, because you'll, you'll be able to do certain things, but you'll have this bigger picture. You'll never see the bigger picture, right? Most of the people contributing will never see that bigger picture, but you'll get these little adjustments along the way. Um, and like the NASA example, you may get a lot of spinoff stuff. So like a cathedral, okay, this generation built um, the nave, right? And, and that's really pretty. They may never get to see the buttresses on the outside, but they got a pretty nave out of it. But then the, the, the example from NASA is that, you know, you'll get all these spinoff technologies. You'll get your component, but you'll get all the stuff you never even knew was possible. Um, never, never, could never plan for right? No, the blueprints never had it in mind. It's just things that came. Uh, so I don't know. I just think that having those big dreams um, can only be beneficial. I mean, Jesus, man, we all learn from our mistakes. So uh, as long as we keep trying to accomplish something great, uh, I just think it opens new doors, maybe unintended, but, but exciting nonetheless. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with you, but again, I think that we're talking from a, a position of relative privilege where, you know, A, we have regular jobs, B, we can have the time to do these podcasts, and and I think it's very difficult. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if this is scapegoating, but, you know, the, the conventional belief is that it's very difficult to get people to come together on high-minded principles if they're worried about where their next meal is going to come from. And it, to me, I mean... When you say it, I, I think that sounds pejorative and it doesn't give uh, our con like everybody in this world uh, a fair shake, uh, you know, that that people can 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 rise above themselves no matter what your economic uh, stability uh, may be. And, and, and realize that, that greater goals for society will in some uh, way, shape or form eventually benefit you, even if it doesn't benefit you in the here and now. But, you know, uh, you know politicians and and the way that we do politics sometimes disagree i mean that they, they they seem to to paint a picture where if people are starving uh they they, they don't want to they don't want to see beautification they don't they don't want to see uh you spending money to do some exploratory endeavor uh if if that money can be better spent by um by helping you know those people out i mean and and, and to that being said though <laughs> you know i you know, well, I personally am a huge believer in safety in a, in a massive public safety net. So, I mean, that's, uh, 
you know, we don't have to get into that because that may not, but you know, in the spirit of Christmas in the spirit of giving, uh, we maybe could throw in some of that. So, I mean, but you know, that that's, that's neither here nor there, but uh, yeah. So that just, no, it's that, a, it's a really good point. A, another, um, it's, it's, it's a really, really note. good point. And what I would say is that, and it may be a little aspirational. There's something um, that I remember hearing about, and I just looked it up so I got the name right. It's called the overview effect. Have you ever heard of this? It's relating to astronauts. No, I haven't. And, you know, in a nutshell, you know, you can Google it. It's got a Wikipedia page. Read about it. Um, But it's basically the, the cognitive shift that a person has when they view Earth from space, realizing what's important, what's fragile, you know, reprioritizes things like all, like all, um, you know, major events in one person's life can do tragic or not. Right. Sometimes you just have those, you know, earth shattering events in your life that put things into perspective and seeing earth um, from space is one of those things. And so when you take on these large multi-generational goals um, that may lead you into space, that may, you know, like we were talking about involve space or just something really big. um, And then to see, you know, so many people contributing towards something and then to think that those very people, even even if they're um, less fortunate financially than some others, they contributed to it. And to think that the society could stomach them not benefiting from it in some way um, may be enough to 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 change that or to guard against that um, concern. I, you know, this is me being aspirational, but hoping that you know if if people were good enough to support something um, that that in and of itself could benefit them that they wouldn't be um, limited to access to it because of their finances, that there would be help in that in some, in some regard. I don't know, but um, that overview effect is what came to mind when you were thinking about it is that if we start, if we start doing really big things that will benefit future people and hopes that there will be spinoffs along the way that benefit us as well. But we know we're working towards a greater good for the future of you know, the generations to come to think that the people contributing, not everyone would benefit from uh, the spinoffs, not because they weren't relevant to them, but because they couldn't purchase them. Um, I think there's something wrong with that to your point. So I'm hoping that, you know, if we ever get there, that that'll be a consideration to be resolved. But I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Um, so I got another topic. Um, have you heard of Zooks? Because I have not. So Zooks, Z-O-O-X, Tech Crunch article. So Amazon's Zooks unveils electric robo-taxi that can travel up to 75 miles per hour can drive bi-directionally, has four-wheel steering, self-driving software, and a ride-sharing app. And so um, I'll, read, I'll read a little excerpt from it, and then you can see if we want to comment on it at all. But what is not yet known is if Zooks has received approval from the Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards crash test to operate the vehicle. These federal standards require manufacturers to build vehicles with specific features such as steering wheels. The Zooks vehicle doesn't have one since it was designed to drive on its own. 
earlier this year, autonomous delivery startup Neuro, I think I'm saying that right, uh, became the first company to receive a driverless, driverless exemption from the federal government. The exemption granted by the U.S. Department of Transportation's National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is for Neuro's new low-speed electric vehicle called the R2 that will be used for local delivery service for restaurants, grocery stores, and other businesses. While Neuro's vehicle doesn't have a steering wheel either, it's also designed for delivering goods, not people. So that is what I took from it. Um, it's interesting because it does call back to another episode that we had when I think you had mentioned to something I said, well, they'll have a steering wheel. They'll just be able to stop themselves from driving into the fiery crash ahead of them. And, you know, my That's response true. was, will they? Or, you know, what if the people are drinking or whatever? But it seems to be that um, right from the get-go, they're trying to remove the driver and, and remove any access to driving um, right out, right out of the gate. Well, because I mean, in every, not every, again, I, 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 if anyone remembers that or anyone listened to that episode, I, I wasn't sure if I was recounting something that was more like shillery for the Tesla propaganda machine, but based on studies and tests that have, have been done of driverless cars, when the accidents occur is usually when a human being tries to take hold of the wheel because it, it uh, the human is misinterpreting uh, what the uh, what the car is trying to do, or or trying to accelerate. Like um, there was a, I think there was a story of uh, when they were test driving driverless cars in Nevada, uh, because the cars would wait for the absolute safest opportunity to um, make a left, like into oncoming traffic. It would completely, it would try to wait until there were almost no cars coming on the other side of the road. And you know that that that's a lot for a person, a human being who wants to take their chances and just like get in there, uh, to to uh, to stomach. So I mean, there were there were more incidents like that. Um, and then so according to that research, they were saying that human beings are the are the greatest obstacle uh, to driverless cars uh, maintaining uh, sort of perfect driving records. So again, I don't I don't I don't know you know again I I don't know if that's more shillery from the Tesla machine Tesla war machine, but. Uh, but that, that, that's the prevailing ideology when it comes to um, uh, driverless uh, machinery is that people are the, are, are, the, um, are, are the danger, are the true danger. Back, not the it goes machine, back so. to my comment, though, is that what happens when it goes wrong? What ha- yeah, but what I'm happens not- when it goes wrong with a person? I mean, it goes wrong with a person almost all the time. So, but I mean, the that, argument so would, funny about but no, no, I, I'm only playing devil's advocate here. I'm an actually complete support of driverless vehicles. Uh, I believe that the statistics will go down. Um, so you will have accidents, but there'll be far less of them. Uh, but with the argument that is going to come from families impacted by this or advocates on their side is that, yeah, but it's through no fault of their own. So when you're driving, it is human error. And it's, you know, I don't want to be crude about it, but it's your fault in a sense, because you're the one behind the wheel. And it goes back to my example before, what if there's a fiery crash in front of you and this stupid driverless car isn't picking it up for some reason and it drives into the burning flames yeah, uh, or drives off the cliff and you're just saying, no, please, God, no, why me? Um, It's true. Yeah, it's true. I don't know. Everyone's cool but, with that. Yeah, I mean, but <laughs> it happens with people risk. too. I mean, well, I mean, I don't know. Everyone's cool. Yeah. Well, everyone, But you could blame it. And what if it's on the little black box where they're like, if I only had a steering wheel, I could save us. Like, well, I mean, I think, 
I think the irony of the whole situation is that currently planes, for the most part, drive. Yeah, but it still has a stick. So still has two pilots. Yeah, and I think that for a long time, these cars should, if if. If yeah, if 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 Zooks is wants to be taken seriously and wants to really get in terms of public opinion and get that that uh, that backing from uh, various representatives and legislatures in order to get clearance to be road uh, to be road ready, they are going to need to include a steering wheel because people are going to need to feel that feel that sense of security uh, as misguided as it may be in, in order to get these things greenlit. So I mean, I like when I when when I talk about driverless trucks, I'm like, look, there's going to be a long period where you're going to have a guy sitting in the cabin being paid to do nothing because that's just the the price you're going to need to pay in order to to have that technology move forward because people just are not going to trust this especially this ominous 18 wheeler with a complete black blackout window uh you know head that is something out of a out of, out of a futuristic terminator movie it's gonna be like the co-pilot from airplane it's just gonna be the blow up <laughs> yeah it's gonna be a big blow up doll <laughs> every yeah, time exactly. the engine starts up uh, yeah. he just kind of inflates exactly. and then when it turns off he deflates that's, yeah that's exactly what it's gonna be i'm just saying you know it, that no one's ready for that no one wants that uh even though uh, you know that that's basically how trains are run you know it, it, that's how trains are run today that's how airplanes are basically run uh, you know, it's it's a wave of the future, and it's it's definitely going to be the way that things will be. But it's just going to take time for people to get comfortable uh, with the idea of seeing autonomous robots, autonomous machinery. Um, How do you feel uh, about this neuro brand already getting approval simply because it's delivering goods? I kind of think it devalues the the life of a pedestrian because um, it's not just about the driver of the car. It's about all the people that are walking around and you being from a city. I wonder what your thoughts are on the government saying, no, 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 Neuro, you can have no wheel and no driver because there's no one in the car. Now, is that simply because there's no one in the car? Like they don't, they're not going to have a driver in it. Like I'm, I'm struggling with the logic because I could see why um, the government is saying like Zook's, you you need a driver in there because there's a human in the vehicle but right. what about all the people outside of the vehicle i agree with you i mean i i think again i think that the uh the fear outweighs the reality of the situation and it's the same thing with with anti-vaxxers i mean right we have to break it down that way because the science is clearly if you were to go into the technology that is involved with a driverless car at this point it would floor you, and I think I mean I because I've I, because I've watched enough videos and because I've you know I've read enough articles about it. I'm I do not feel any um, reservations when it comes to how uh, how much information these cars are picking up at any given moment uh, to feel safe to feel relatively uh, fine with them coming down a bus lane. So I mean that that's the thing. But you're think, saying so you're saying yeah. the movie Logan when they're on the highway side and the horses get loose. And the and the semis, the driverless semis, are like whizzing by, almost hitting everyone. Those aren't. That's not how it would be. They would slow down. They would wait until the horses crossed and got picked up. I'm saying I hope so. I I mean, based on the current technology we have today, they would definitely slow down. But I mean, we don't know. We don't have those kinds of. If we had transportation lanes, like actual transportation highways, which I think have been trying to built in california i think that's what they're working on uh, right now with like a, a new railway uh, is having like a you know to allow for faster speed rail i can't tell you if we had a specific designated plot of land that stretches uh, hundreds of miles and it it was built for these driverless 
uh, autonomous, you know, these autonomous vehicles to be going at 300 plus miles per hour. I, I, I don't know what kind of uh, safety mechanisms would be put in place aside from trying to build some sort of walls or what have you that keep people out of those, out of those lanes. You made me think like, why not not just make them detachable from a train and have the train do the heavy lifting across regions and then they detach and, motor on the local roads to make final delivery or whatever. I think that that's probably where we would get to. I mean, that's, that's probably the future that you would get to because that's, that's probably far more efficient. I mean, I think that the cars we're talking about, especially these driverless delivery trucks, I mean, they, they probably wouldn't be going uh, long distances and they would be outfitted with the same kind of technology that a Tesla is currently outfitted with, which is like a, basically it's like a device on the top that, is, is like a siren and it continually monitors uh, like 360 degrees within like a 20 foot radius of the vehicle uh, watching out for any kind of obstructions. And I, I, I'm perfectly fine with that. I mean, I, I just do not, it, my point is the, the computer is going to have a faster reaction time than someone who has uh, a passenger in the seat, uh, two screaming kids in the back of the car and a ball comes out from some kid that kicked it into the street runs after it, uh, a computer is going to have a faster reaction time than that, that individual any day of the week. So I'm just saying when you, when you want to talk about who you feel more safe, like who you feel safer with in terms of making that call, uh, I, I do with the machine because the machines is 110, I mean, I hate using 110%, this was just say, 100% of the time, the machine is focused on what is going on on the road. Yeah. You cannot say the same of any human driver at any one given moment. Because I think there's the always question, going to be something else. I think the question is not so much whether or not it's focused, but in a sense, what's it focused on? Is it picking up everything a human would pick up? You know, humans can look around. They can anticipate. They understand the way things work. That tree looks like it's going to fall. I may want to like not do that right now. Or something's happening and they understand the outcome, the cause and effect of, of things happening on or, or close to the road. Can the machine not only detect, you know, the car next to you is swerving into your lane, but can it do those more complex concepts, those, those um, calculations? And I think it, everyone would be comfortable knowing that they could, but I think no, that's can. a question. Yeah, I mean, but they can. We know like they does can. It, does, because... does a kid, does the, does the, well, does the, um, so you have a kid on the side of the road, not doing anything, not in close proximity to the car, but he's got a baseball and he's winding up to throw it and he looks like he's going to do it. And he's like, you know, kind of like pumping his arm, like trying yeah. to scare drivers. I'm making a ridiculous example. Yeah, yeah, but no, but it's, to get a, to the it's idea good of, to do these. We have, of, I mean, people of, need to do with this. The, with, the, with, the, with the car as a person would be like, shit, I need to slow down. This kid's being a jerk. Um, type thing because he's going to throw this ball into traffic and cause some problems Um, or does the computer on the on the car understand the motion this kid is making and can anticipate that he's going to let the ball fly out and that you know you don't need to stop on a dime going 60 miles an hour you should slow down because this kid is unpredictable like that level of sophistication I think would make people feel better and I think that you're going to get that level of sophistication because you're going to get within a suburban zone safer driverless vehicles than what you currently have. Like right now, look, I live on a street and the miles per hour on the street, I think is like uh, 15 or 20 or something like that. And routinely you see 
postal trucks, you see FedEx, you see uh, a number of vehicles fly down the street at either twice that speed or at least five, five to 10 miles uh, above that speed. I'm just saying that is more, that is more in line with the human condition of I need to get somewhere and my needs trump the rules of the road. A driverless machine is going to go at the exact speed in which you've set for a suburban slash urban zone. So if your urban zone speed is set to 10, five miles per hour, that's what the driverless vehicle is going to be going. So regardless of what it needs to be. But if that kid with the baseball is on an overpass on a bridge and he's not in a, in a, I don't know what we're talking about here. What does he fall off zone. the overpass into the highway? No, that's he throws, he throw, he's, for, he's throwing baseballs. He's throwing eggs off the overpass into onto the oncoming traffic. Right, and that would that would definitely affect a driver a driver because that egg could fall on its, its on their you windshield. See the kid. You would see what this kid's doing. I don't know. What, I don't know what this kid is. I mean, <laughs> the way that you're talking about this kid is either some sort I'm of psychopathic to, I, kid that I can't just wants come up... to create mayhem everywhere, or he's suicidal trying to jump from an overpass. <laughs> yes. He's that guy. He's the guy that was on Oz that is in those mayhem commercials, right? Yeah. That's what. The, that's what I'm trying yeah. to come up with. I'm trying to come up with the idea of uh, the, the car computer anticipating, understanding what intention something may have. I you think, know, uh, um, yeah. um, conscious or not, like the intention of there's like this stored energy that's about to be released, and it may not be released until right before the car arrives at this at this point on the right. road and, and what can i'm anticipate yeah. it and what i'm trying to say is that that's sort of a negligible argument because the car is going to anticipate what we program it to anticipate so it's more on the society in which the car is, is being used than the car itself right because i mean I don't, i'm not it's, saying it's a choice to or not to do it can no i'm just trying it? to is say that look if you're in a if you're in a residential zone where children are regularly at play it is with the lead is within the the responsibility of the legislators in charge of that body to regulate the speed limit and to anticipate that if yeah, a kid people were, no this i'm just trying to say that that's why you have sides of the roads zones. of in of of commercial zoned areas i, mean, I don't get yeah, out we, of the residential space well all right but well, we don't legislate to that and i'm saying there's it's it's difficult to legislate to that but my, my point is a kid playing kickball on the side of a major freeway is is more likely to be hit by a human being than it, it like you're in new jersey now you for, take a ride down route route 70 or route 9 especially when they get by shopping centers you'll see sidewalks for people to go from one plaza to the next right it's not it's not pedestrian friendly really I you have that. to walk okay. along the main side of the roads and so what happens if you see a kid and its mom you know walking along the side of the road because they're going to the next plaza kid gets loose does something stupid and runs out into the street i mean a normal person on in the car would hopefully slow down preferably get into the other lane if it was open to give them a buffer would this car do that absolutely i don't see a reason why you wouldn't program a car to do that you would program a car to avoid being as close to pedestrians as possible my point is you would program the car with the same rules of defensive driving we currently have in place that's that's like a part of defensive driving if someone if a motorist breaks down on the side of the road by the textbook you're supposed to move into the far lane and slow down so as not to uh, accidentally hurt anybody that might have to get out of that vehicle, correct? You would program the car with the exact same logic. The, the difference is, is that human beings do not follow the textbook logic 100% of the time versus a robotic car, an autonomous vehicle, will follow that logic 100% of the time. No, I, like which I is, said, again, the statistics far more good. confident in autonomous vehicles and i would be a massive proponent of it and i would have no point no problem voting it in to my own city my own 
local area. I have no issues with it whatsoever. And I, and I, I want this to, to be uh, the next flood of technology that really disrupts and changes the way in which we, uh, we go about our very lives because it really is. It's going gonna, it's gonna to transform where you can live. Uh, it's going to transform uh, the commutes you can have, uh, you know, going from one place to another. If you could just get into your vehicle and no longer have to worry about driving it, you can, I can, you could work in a state that might be two hours away because you can still bring your, I don't, I don't know. I'm, just, I'm going completely off the walls here, but my point is you could do a family car trip uh, you know, easily to Canada where you actually hang out with your family in the car because you don't have to drive. You know, there's just so many different things you can do uh, that I think is just going to revolutionize uh, the way we go about our world. And that's on a personal level. I mean, from the industry perspective, it is going to completely change the way that we, uh, that we transfer goods and, and how far goods can go, uh, especially goods that might have been perishable when relying on a human, uh, like a, like a, a person to drive a truck from one place to the other because that person needs to take breaks. That person legally would need to, to have a rest. It would need to stay over uh, in, in these various towns in order to uh, whatever, like a hotel or what have you, in order to, to, to take that rest. Autonomous vehicles no longer need to rest. So you're, you're now expediting how fast you can move goods from one coast to the other if you just have these huge semis that, that never break and they just drive uh, based on – uh, solar power from one from one coast to the other. I'm just saying there's going to be things that people aren't even really thinking about right now that are going to revolutionize the way that, uh, uh, yeah, that that uh, that we we go about our daily lives. Is it the, the right. yeah? I mean, there's just so much to it. There's a lot to it. So. I agree. It made me think of because knowing that with this taxi cab specifically that it's all automated, even down to the software that's going to be managing the fleet of cabs. Um, it's all going to be you know. Uh, it's all going to be controlled by software, it sounds like. And it made me think when you were talking, why isn't that done with, um, uh, you'll know the term, like the, uh, the flight tower? Why are there still humans behind that? When you went into like... Oh, control legally, towers for flight, yeah. flight paths? Why, flight why, paths? Isn't that, why isn't that automated? In uh, yeah, the most stressful job where I think it has like the highest percentage of suicide rates. Yeah, why isn't it done automated? I don't know. Okay. I thought you had a good reason maybe why it wasn't. Nope. Because you were talking nope. about people working long hours and human error costing <laughs> lives and stuff. Why? I mean, I think well, look, I mean let's let's not let's not downplay. There's probably an incredible amount of sophisticated like incredible sophisticated uh, software that is behind how air traffic control operates at this point. Um, but yeah, there's still uh, I think a high degree of reliance on the people in that tower. Uh, I don't I do not know why we haven't invested um, into making that more autonomous, I, I don't know. The, the investment for the autonomy has been in the craft itself, as opposed to um, the, the yeah the ground crew and how and, and how you get airplanes uh, from one place to the other. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why air traffic control is such a is still such an intense uh, labor. I assume uh, there was a, a reason why a human had to be behind it. And I was hoping it wasn't just like ego and arrogance that there was actually like a functional reason. I mean, you know, my, my initial answer was going to be unions. But. <laughs> <laughs> Not a great argument for union. <laughs> well, there's a lot of problems. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say. It's, it's, it's that, that is the answer, right? If you were to ask, well, why does the New York city subway station subway uh, require so much maintenance? The answer is unions. Uh, it's the only reason that we still use uh, steel as opposed to rubber wheels which would cut down on having to maintain the tracks. So, Isn't that uh, that whole concept of uh, 
was that, what was that movie falling down do you remember that movie no with um oh man what was his name uh is it michael douglas falling down 1993 well, you describe describe the plot What's michael the plot douglas movie? yeah well this guy like flips out he, he loses his mind um and yeah it's michael douglas uh okay so there was a there was a Oh man, it is so such a long time ago, '93. But there's a a scene in there when uh, there's this road construction that's doing work, and basically, from what I remember, he basically says to them, "You guys are just doing work because your budget, because you need to spend the budget so you get it for next year," type thing. That's kind of what I gleaned from it. You this ro- like it wasn't even road work; they were just set up doing nothing, but they had to do that to spend the money. Um, to pay themselves and to, to for the equipment and everything yeah. so that they yeah. spent it all so that they would get it again next year and that whole yeah. and then you don't need a union for that to happen i think that happens no, in a lot of because it happens in yeah. departments and yeah. private entities and private corporations all the time um and so that's kind of what it made me think of for whatever reason i don't really think i had a point to it but yeah no, no i mean it's simple look i mean look we're, we're prone to waste and uh and and unfortunately the heartless bastards are supposed to come in and, uh, and correct things are often the villains. And so, um, uh, yeah, again, but that's, I'm not, I'm not pro, I don't believe I'm not pro corporation in turn. Cause I mean, they're doing it for profits and that's different. We're talking about people who are supposed to come in for the public good and make things more efficient and are often stonewalled by, um, various bureau- bureaucracies, you know, and they give unions a bad name. So, so, um, all right. So yeah, what, what else, else I got? got? I got, this is, I don't know how, what there is to talk about. I just found it interesting. I caught myself reading it and I was like, all right, well, I'll bring it up and see what, see if you want to say anything. But so I'll just read my note on it. For decades, people undergoing radiotherapy, which is used to treat cancer, have reported a bizarre phenomenon, seeing flashes of blue light in their eyes, even when their eyes are closed. Have you ever heard of this? I haven't. No, either. I haven't. But when I started reading about it, I was like, <laughs> "Oh, all right." And the reason behind it kind of, um, kind of piqued my interest. So, basically, now scientists have captured this strange light for the first time, producing the first photographic evidence of the phenomenon is in fact, and I will butcher this name, Cherenkov light. And basically, okay. this type of light is an electromagnetic radiation that's emitted when a charged particle passes through the matter at a greater speed than the speed of light within that medium. Um, and so the way that they described it is it's like producing a sonic boom in your eye, but with light. And that's what's creating this blue light. Uh, and the article like immediately was like, just to be clear, this isn't traveling faster than the speed of light in a vacuum, but in this medium it can. And I guess it's similar to in water. I- items can, things can travel faster than the speed of light in water. And so this can, this radiation can travel, these um, uh, particles, these charged particles can travel faster than the speed of light in your eye. And when that happens, it creates this blue light, which people have been saying for years, but there's been no evidence of it. Scientists finally were able to take the first picture of it to, to say, oh yeah, you guys have been telling the truth. Sorry about that. Um, and so why is this important? Basically for this particular type of therapy, now they'll be able to measure uh, where this light takes place so that they can see if it hits its, hits its intended target. So I just thought it was um, an interesting, <laughs> I don't, they say photographic evidence and I'm like, you guys couldn't have done this earlier. So you're telling me that you're 
blasting radiation into these people's eyes. Um, and they've been complaining or, or, or talking about seeing this blue light for God knows how long, I guess, since you've been doing this. And all along, this could have been a way to make your instruments, your procedure more accurate. Um, but you didn't, you didn't follow this lead sooner. Just kind of mm-hmm. like it was cool, and then, well, I, long, and then I immediately got this, annoyed when I when I read it. Well, how, how long has this been going on? I mean, that's that's the question. Um, how long has it been going on? It has been going on. Well, how old is radiotherapy? Because that's probably how long it's been going on. Um, it says for decades, for decades, this has been going on. So for decades, these people have been saying this blue light, this blue light. What's going on with this blue light in my eye? Even when I close my eyes, I see it, and. I can only imagine it's been ignored. You can, you can just imagine you complaining to your doctor about something, and if it wasn't in a study, they're like, "Yeah, it's all in your head," or, or "Yeah, that's completely normal. We've heard that before." But yeah, instead yeah. of going to figure out what it's all about, um, they they didn't do it. And again, I'm probably simplifying it, but it says photographic evidence, which leads me to think they just took a photograph of these people's eyes when they were doing this radiotherapy, um, to and and they captured the spark of light, right? The the flash of light. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And all along, this could have helped them be more precise. Well, better late than never. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> That's the best we could say about it, right? I mean, it's yeah, it's it's as to be expected. Um, I think that the way that um, uh, the medical community sometimes goes about, uh, it, yeah, it's a little like, it's a little bit more like a blunt instrument. It's at times, um, you know, when you're when you're programmed or you you're not programmed, but uh, when you've been studying to do a certain thing and you do it several times over. Um, and I, I think that we are, uh, the way that we practice medicine is a bit dismissive of the, um, the individual experience of the person who is receiving the treatment. And, uh, and so this, I think this is more empirical evidence as to that fact where people can be recounting to physicians that they are seeing, uh, you know, a blue light in their eye and, and can be completely, um, just uh, rebuffed or, you know, just as, you know, basically uh, dismissed as to, well, that's just uh, the layman um, individual not fully understanding the the science or what's actually, you know, or, 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 or a number. Any I can see some just, smug response being told. Yeah, that's my and, point. Yeah. It, ah, man, just like this was never followed up. No one ever like, I don't know. I don't know. I can only imagine that if this is the case, uh, that it happened a lot. Um, and that just no one, no one decided to study that for decades. I have a hard time believing we just have the technology now to take a photograph of somebody's eye. They could have captured this light. Maybe that's the case. Maybe we just came out with the right camera recently, but I just feel like it was ignored, but who knows? But that's my own, that's my own bias opinion. Um, well, it's good. I mean, look, at least it's, it's good that some good has come out of it. Right. So, yeah. So I do have this story. This story made me laugh. I'm going to send you, I'm going to send you the, the link because it made me laugh. Okay. Um, <clears throat> okay. So I made a note for myself. <laughs> the note was I found a Russian hoax. So basically Russia Russia's high-tech AI robot turns out to be a human in robot costume. <laughs> Dude, I'm going to read. <laughs> let me. Okay. I'm gonna, yeah, okay. No, what, what? No, no, no. You, you go. You go. No. What? Well, uh, remember I sent, there was that viral YouTube 
video about the robot that um, it, it basically was like a robot that could do all this this crap. Uh, I mean, this isn't incredibly descriptive or entertaining for the listener, but do you remember what I'm talking about? It was like I sent it to you. You were like, CGI oh, I thing. That. It was CGI. Yeah, it was it was the robot that goes on all fours and then it could stand up. And yes, and it could jump. And these people yes. were beating it with like a bat, which again harkened back to Short Circuit. Right. Um, but yeah, right. they were beating it, and then the, finally the robot turned on them. Yeah, it turned on them. Um, right. Yeah, that was all CGI. It looked right. incredible, though. Like, yeah, great, great for them. But all right, so this one: mm. Russian state television covered a robotics forum, and a human-like robot called Boris stole the show. Um, it can dance, hold conversations, and did everything like realistic. Like when I say realistic, human-like. So. Uh, some of the critiques from people that saw this were like, yeah, robots are becoming more nimble, but they're nowhere near this agile. Like this would be a huge leap forward in an advancement in robotics. And apparently this Russian website felt the same way and investigated how these scientists could develop Boris so quickly. And basically the question they asked, like made me laugh out loud. Why is this shaped like a man in a suit? (laughs) Um, and, and, you know, <laughs> the second part was rather than a hinged machine. So usually when you see these robots, you'll see the hinges, right? On the right. elbows and all the joints right, right, you can see right. through it because it's a robot. And they're yeah. like, why is this shaped like a man in a suit? And it turns out that it was a man in a suit. And the, <laughs> the way that they figured out how it was a man in a suit, and this is why I sent you the article, is because they've tweeted photos from the conference and you can see the guy's neck. <laughs> you can see his neck from behind, from the side. Okay. Um, I don't know. This one, I don't know who. So this That's is, it, right. it, it, it positions it as like Russian, right? And I don't know. And Russian state television covered it. This is how like the article was phrasing it and positioning it. I don't know who created this robot. I don't know if it was Russian backed or not. If this was some type of propaganda or if this was actually um, just you know, a company in Russia that tried to pull one over on the people. I don't know. But I found the ineptitude of trying to pull off this hoax uh, pretty comedic. The fact that the first question was, why does this robot look like a man dressed in a suit? And um, the lack of joints that you would typically see with robots, like what would be the point of covering them up? the fact that they made these types of advancements, like they made no effort to explain that away of how they even came up with this nimble, nimble being. Um, But then to actually tweet out photos showing the guy's neck was just like, that's too good. Yep. Um, Yeah. Well, that's how you pull off a hoax, I guess. I mean, yeah. (laughs) And I'm curious if it was actually meant to be a hoax. Like if it was actually meant to be that. I will. It doesn't seem like it, right? Because it, this was done at what kind of conference was this? Was this like a was this like a, a so next gen conference, like a conference, like a conference to expose like new tech? Uh, no. So it, I mean, here's, this, here's, it literally looks like something out of Disneyland's World of Tomorrow. Like it, it literally <laughs> looks like you know the out of the science fair, not the science fair, the world's fair kind of. Uh, it looks like something that would have been put up. You know, when you do that ride, that's not really a ride where it goes through uh, space, like the tech from the 1950s to the modern day in Walt Disney's vision. This this looks like something that would have been there in the 2020, uh, you know, futuristic vision little montage sketch because it's 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 that ridiculous. But yeah, go on. Yeah. 
the last sentence in this article, it's an IFL article, um, is the forum itself say that they hadn't claimed that the Boris, that the Boris was anything other than a man in a very expensive costume. That's what the BBC reported. But the next sentence is, um, quite why Russia 24 portrayed the robot as real is unclear as they had yet to release the statement. So it seems to be that the forum itself may have just pulled a gag or maybe just didn't go to the efforts of saying it wasn't real and this was just kind of a gimmicky thing. But Russia 24, the state-run the state-run um, media agency actually did portray it as if it was real. And maybe it's one of those things that we have in the U.S. where you have our politicians retweeting things that they think is real and it turns out to be an Onion article. Um, that maybe that's kind of what this is. I don't know. I mean, I feel bad for whoever was either in the suit or whoever was in charge of uh, the entire thing because, I mean, it's, it's, it's just going to be the unfortunate story of uh, head of whatever ex agency slipped on ice and fell in va- a plutonium, you know, it's going to be, <laughs> it's, I, mean, I feel bad for this guy, whoever it is, but uh, usually you don't live when you uh, make Russia look bad. So we'll see. Um, did you hear about uh, the soil and gas that Japan brought back from their, from their probe that was circling or landed on the asteroid or whatever it was, they collected it some way. Nope. No, another new story. What's going another on? Another new story. So the capsule arrived in Japan, um, and the idea is that Japan hopes to learn more about the origins of the solar system and life on Earth. Uh, apparently, the gas and soil, from what I remember reading, is completely different from, or the, the elements in it maybe, are, is completely different from what we have here on Earth. Um, and they pl- they're going to study it. Japan's going to study it. And then they plan to share it with NASA and other international space agencies um, beginning in 2022. So they're going to give themselves quite a bit of time to look at that stuff. The name of the, uh, I guess, the, the probe or the capsule is the Hayabusa 2. Um, and it's on an 11-year, it's now on an 11-year expedition to another asteroid to try and study possible defenses against meteorites that could fly towards earth. That's cool. So yeah, I think it's pretty cool uh, that they're doing this stuff. Um, yeah. It looks like it's just like this canister. They, they, I think the story is they got way more than they had thought and um, their news is, you know, we're still waiting to see what this actually means, but um is this like the normal way? Because now that more agencies are getting in the game of space exploration, uh, and, you know, I don't fault them at all, like saying, yeah, we're going to study this and then we'll give it to NASA. Um, it seems to be really important stuff. Is this just kind of the norm going forward where uh, we will rely on other countries to share stuff with us? Are we going to go out and do it ourselves? Is it better that way? Is it more efficient? Or is it too reliant on cooperation with other nations that could be subject to? I mean, it's the idealistic way forward. I mean, this is the way it should be. We should be sharing with things that we discover with other countries as well. I mean, space should be uh, an endeavor that we as a, as a world, like a world nation state, um, you know, should be, united in terms I mean, we've talked about this before i mean that that's the whole dream of this the whole gene roddenberry federation dream is that everyone unites under a single banner and you no longer have divisions amongst the uh 
the various nation states of earth and uh you know it's like kumbaya so i mean i i don't see anything i if anything it sort of speaks to that and i i, I would hope it would go forward and and that we would we would be more um yeah i mean i don't know if the international space station has a, a part to play in, in this um and then how we share things uh because of that because we have that space station but i mean i think only good things could be could come of it i don't i see no reason to be stingy and hide and and be very espionage like when it comes to discoveries in space i mean it's, anything discovered in space affects the earth it, it doesn't affect any one nation so you know i just there's no real there shouldn't be any impotence to uh to be particularly greedy when it comes to 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 this kind of thing that's what i would say an asteroid that hits japan will would affect us the it will change the uh, the the climate as we know it, uh, any kind of dust, any kind of any kind of aftershock uh, will eventually come over and and affect us as well. So that's my point. It, there's no real reason to be stingy. I guess so. I, I agree with everything you're saying. I guess my my thing was more of should there be. I don't know the right way to word this. Like a universal lab, a universe, a global lab. So. All right, Japan collects this stuff. They analyze it. They, I don't want to say contaminate it or do whatever they do, and we would do the same. And, and so I'm not looking to disparage their processes or capabilities, but they're going to manipulate this stuff, and uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change it in some way, hypothetically, or do whatever it is. Uh, and then we're going to get it, and then we're going to do it and pass it on to the next and so on and so forth. Um, and then Japan is going to analyze it in a certain way. And then we're going to analyze, again, that secondhand stuff a certain way. Um, and I don't know what changes would have happened as it changes hands that would um, limit our, our limit, you know, limit our cap or limit what we could find out, I guess. And so I guess in the spirit of what you're talking about, what my initial thought was is that why don't we set up one lab made up of nations to analyze this stuff with, combining our different techniques and goals so that we have all have the prime sample and we figure it out that way. I, I it's, this isn't bad to what we're doing. It's just like, why, why are we doing it this way? Is that the way forward where one person yeah. makes it, one country makes a discovery, mm. you know, sifts yeah. through this stuff and then like ends whatever's left to everyone else. Um, not to say that, and let's just do roles reversal so it doesn't seem like I'm being too xenophobic here. Let's say that we made it first and Japan was going to get it second. We got it, right? And we do our stuff. And let's say we weren't as good as Japan or another country, but we kind of ruined it in a way. And then we give it to them. And Japan's yeah. superior methodology um, can only pull out yeah. so much because we've, we've ruined the sample in a sense. Um, or there isn't enough of it left, or, or we, we didn't ruin it, but we took some, the, the portion that we used uh, was significant that we didn't mm -hmm. detect that they could have, but they never got it. So my thing yeah. is like, instead of doing this like piecemeal share kind of thing, why don't we just have like this one singular lab where we, where we do this stuff? But is that a national security? Yeah, we would need risk? it. I, I mean, I don't think it's a national. I don't believe it would be. I think we could. You could drum up any number of ways in which um, interested parties uh, that are more nationalistic could 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 say that there's a security risk in doing so. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, and as far as we know, in terms of the what we know about space and how uh, anything in space affects the planet uh, almost e uh, equally, um, 
I see, I think that that'd be a fantastic idea. I think it, it, it'd be amazing if we had, instead of having NASA, we had a single uh, joint space uh, endeavor agency. That would be so Why can't cool. we have I mean, an international space lab? Well, I mean, I look, I, we know why. I mean, it's all about funding. It's all about what people will agree. And, and we all know that it would not be funded e- equally. Um, and that, that I think that, that that comes into play in terms of why we do not have one. Um, you know, it's like whoever flips, whoever contributes the most would feel like they deserve a greater seat at the table or, or more share in the say of what is what goes on. And I think that, you know, that that's going to create that animosity. I mean, it's a miracle we have the International Space Station, but to have a joint space program on Earth, on the terrestrial Earth, you know, I think that that, 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 that would, yeah, it, it would be cause for alarm only because of the way that we compete for resources as nation states. So I agree with you. I wish it were a possibility. It's just, I don't, I don't know. It took two iterations of, of uh, to get the UN, right? You had the original Woodrow Wilson, like six nations. I can't remember what they originally called that. And then you had the UN on the back of the second world war. So sorry, what the League saying? of Nations? Yeah, the League of Nations, right, exactly. That was the first iteration, and then you have the second one, which is the current UN that we have today. So it's going to take something monumental in order to get a united federation for uh, for space for space, space exploration, but it, it's long overdue and something that we should definitely be um, invested in. I, I mean, I'm just saying, I, I agree with you. I think we're in the same agreement. It's just a matter of how do you get these states to to agree and do something. And here's the other thing. The reason the United Nations does not have an army is because of the fear of having this, this autonomous entity that supersedes the borders of any one nation, right? Any one state. I mean, that that's why the UN doesn't have as much power as it technically should, because no one wants this autonomous world overseer. They'd rather it just be, um, done by the united states yeah exactly they'd rather just blame they'd rather have america just go in and police the world or not have america be the imperialist you know uh there's there's various reasons for that but yeah i'm just saying no one trusts uh no one would trust this uh, this um this third uh overseer so, so why wouldn't this just be a branch of the un this like science lab it'll be cool i don't know i mean it's up to, up to the u.n charter i don't think the u.n was never set up to do something like that that's probably where why it comes down to it because the u.n was set up to be uh something that is very much a uh and a police watchdog with no teeth of of everything that goes on on the on earth i mean it, it when it was set up i don't think space exploration was was something that was on the uh, on everyone's minds, right? The the whole point of the UN is to avoid a World War III. That was the point of it, not to go off and discover unnew worlds in strange new locales. So, be pretty cool. We'd give him some leverage, at least a different way without an army to, um, I don't know, have some skin in the game, have some pull, have some teeth. Yeah, to uh, a point. Can... Until yeah, until they actually started making headway, and everyone's like, you know, who? What? What is? What is? The, what do they call the Earth in? Um, in uh in the expanse besides the, the, the inners well besides the inners isn't there like an official name to the earth the earthers the inners I you mean what the belters are calling them or no not what the belters calling the inners but the uh what is the isn't there like a official name to the to the world organization on earth there there is some name my point is it's until that gets created so yeah, My point is, there's that. always fear of the unknown, and there's, and then people. But they are, only came out with three episodes. Yeah, I know of this new season. Yeah, and then it's weekly. I gotta wait till 
Yeah. What is it? Some sometime this week. The next I know one's it's kind of it's kind of garbage, but it's, what is that? What what is that? This throttling of episodes. That's to get you to keep turning on Amazon. Yeah, week after know. week. So. I don't know. I don't know about that. Anyway, um, so this other one. So, switch probably be the last one. Yeah. So then we won't we won't get to what you would probably want to talk about. No, no, it's fine. A teaser. Gonna... No, this will have to be a teaser for the next one. But okay, because the next one is about wolves. Wolf update. Oh Jesus! <laughs> I had some small feedback that we should abandon the wolves. <laughs> They're not oh, yeah. that interesting. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but this one actually answers a question. This okay. one answers this okay. one, but maybe yeah. next time. No, no, um, go go for it. You want to do the wolves instead of the other thing? No, do the other thing because again, based on the feedback, I don't think people care about these wolves. <laughs> it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor right. for, for biodiversity. Right. Um, all right. So basically, there was an NPR poll, and despite record turnout, right, eighty million people came out. Um, I'm sorry, despite record turnout, 80 million people didn't vote. Um, and the reasons for that were 29%, this is in order, 29% not being registered to vote, 23% not being interested in politics, 20% not liking the candidates, 16% a feeling their vote wouldn't have made a difference, and 10% being undecided on whom to vote for. So, I mean, every, to be honest, everything except for the top one, uh, I think is just like a civics edu- education thing. I think that, you know, that just, you need to understand how things work and why um, you you do and don't matter, I guess, arguably, but you should participate and engage. Um, but the one that sticks out and not because it's 29% even is the not being registered to vote. And basically it's because of Republicans very recently, in fact, putting up an argument saying that Democrats the Democrats' strategy to engage with traditionally non-voting citizens is somehow gaming the system and that we should not be working to register more voters. If people want to register, they should just do it on their own and they shouldn't be solicited to do so. Um, And, you know, 29% of 80 million didn't do it because of that. I don't know if there's other factors or if it's not so black and white, but that's what the poll is. So that's what we have to work with. Um, that's huge to me. That's like a big deal. And if people simply aren't participating because they aren't registered, it goes back to why isn't everyone auto-registered? Yeah. That's insane. Well, everyone's not auto-registered based on the um, opposition's argument that if um, voting should be something that you uh, intrinsically, intrinsically desire to do, something you should be working towards, and is not some sort of privilege or something that is baked into the uh, organization of a democracy. But this they, isn't this isn't compulsory voting, though. Like you could be registered and not vote; it doesn't matter. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I'm this just is just giving you the ability. It's it's almost like setting you up to vote. It's. I look. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't really yeah, I don't, get I don't the argument. Get it? Yeah, disagree. I know. I know you're playing devil's advocate. I yeah, just I don't am. understand because I did that. I got in a back and forth with someone. Um, on Twitter uh, probably a couple weeks ago and they were making the argument like, listen, the, the government shouldn't have to spoon feed you. And I, and I just don't see it that way. And I know, I, and I know that we, you and I have talked about this before. It, it's just dumb that we have the data on people. We track people. 
And this isn't just something that you just turn on for everyone. Like, yeah, you're registered to vote. Like, why would you have to register to vote? You know, yeah, exactly. You, no, it's ridiculous. It's a whole different topic because he was saying anti, it's anti-democratic. Yeah, he was saying that you know you, you shouldn't have to you shouldn't force people to vote if people don't want to participate. That's their thing, and that's a whole different topic. The, your eligibility in terms of being registered to vote, like why you even have to jump through that hoop, is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. I agree with you 110. percent And look, I think people pick and choose, right? Especially when people use that argument of. Um, uh, you know, the government shouldn't spoon feed you. Well, it's like, well, does the government spoon feed your insurance for your house? Does the government spoon feed the fact that your car is insured? I mean, there are just things that you just have to do. The government just says, look, if you have a car on the road, it needs to be uh, insured and it needs to pass the, the uh, motorway uh, safety test. And if it doesn't have either of those two things, you get a fine. You know, it, we don't have to be that draconian when it comes to voting, but I'm just trying to say that there's plenty of things in this world that the government enforces you to do and spoon feeds everybody to say that this is something that needs to be procured or you have to have on your person if you're going to do X, Y, and Z. Being a citizen of this country, registra- registration to vote should just be one of those. And I, I see no reason not to why. Their argument is be. that, is it, and like birth, certif- uh, birth certificates or, so, or not birth, uh, social security, right? Like you need, to, you need to get that. You need to fill out paperwork in order to work at most jobs and to do certain things. Um, and right, but you're automatically enrolled in Social Security. But you do have to, and, and I guess what they're saying, saying is that you, you are spoon fed that. But you have to fill out paperwork to do it. And I guess my thing is like you shouldn't have to. to honestly, you shouldn't have to fill out paperwork to do any of this stuff. It should no. just be turned on. You should fill out but paperwork. You, you can't opt out of Social Security. Can and you? then I think you don't have to get it until later in life. You don't have to get it at birth. Yes, but you're, you're always paying to, into it. You well as and it depends on the type of job. I mean, let's be honest. Some jobs are cash businesses, and you don't need to to get that stuff. I mean, you could just be a handyman, and people pay you, and you don't need that. Like, yeah, but you have to you file you file you have to pay taxes, and that's part of Social Security is in out of those taxes you pay. So you always are in. Pay you're taxes if you if you meet a certain income a year, right? I mean. All right. What are you trying to say here? If you're at the, po- I mean, well, all right. Well, we don't have to get into the 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 particulars of 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 Social Security, but ideally, the point is that every U.S. citizen is entitled to Social Security, and if you have a job or you own a business, you're paying your taxes. That helps fund Social Security, so you you are automatically enrolled into that. I'm just saying by the numbers, you're you're automatically enrolled. Well, you're you still have to do. You- Technically, you, I mean, you're, you can't opt out. Auto, you're not, it's not that you're opting out. You still have to do something. You have to go out and do it. You have to go fill out your paperwork. You have to do that. To and claim think, it, to claim it, but you're already entitled to it. To get your, so get your social security number. You have to fill okay. out paperwork to get that. Okay. All right. You'll find that out soon. Um, but you have to do that. But, uh, and, and that's kind of what they were saying. And what my argument, my argument was, is that mm-hmm. there's enough data and capability out there mm-hmm. that we don't have to do it in this like archaic way yes. anymore. You, let's just say that you even had to fill out paperwork, that somehow it wasn't just inherent in, you know, mm-hmm. you having a family and being born into this country that's mm-hmm. not just in there anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, just through legacy, right? Your legacy data that they can't figure this stuff out that, you know, my kids, your kids, you, you know, they just through our own information, their information can't be generated from that. Right. But, uh, okay, so we have to fill out paperwork. We should only have to do that once. Fill out paperwork once, the government has it. They ask all the questions they need if they don't already have it on our file yeah. and then that's it. Yeah. Like the reason that the, the idea that you would have to go out for every little thing and register, sign up, mm. request, it just seems absurd to do. And it is for some people 
there's a lot of reasons why it is a, a hoop that they will never jump through. And I just don't see the reason why. And I know that you agree, but mm-hmm. it just really stuck out to me that this poll, given the, the Republicans' argument, it's almost like they knew these numbers and they're going after it directly, saying that, you know, it's, it's a manipulation of, this, of the system to engage with non-registered voters to get them to register and vote. Um, I don't know. I just found that to be very disturbing, both in their tactic. Mm-hmm. They'd, rather, they'd rather stifle the system yep. um, than lose, mm-hmm. if, if that's how they see it, um, given that there are this many unregistered voters out there. And, and not that this, this many voters who didn't vote, and the reason why is because they're not registered. Mm-hmm. That just blows my mind. I don't know, yeah. 29%, 80000000 million. That's crazy. It's, it's, it's sad. It's a sad statistic, and it's a, it's a sad way in which we orient this country um, when it comes to voting. It's, it's sad that there's a party out there who realizes that they're not the party of the majority and would rather rule uh, through minority power. And I think that that's, that's always dangerous um, for many reasons. And, and you could always look back to history for enough uh, enough evidence in order to support that claim. So um, you don't even have to get into the particulars of it, but you'd never want uh, the majority of people ruled by uh, a, a, a representative body that, uh, that essentially represents the interest of a minority group of, of individuals, which is what they're basically saying. I mean, that, that, there's no other reason to fight that, right? Because you're not, you're not going to fight people registering people to vote if they're all going to vote for your party, right? I mean, that, that, that's sort of that, that intrinsic... Uh, uh, survivability of a party. You know, the party wants to do what the party needs to do in order to survive. If all these people are going to bolster the numbers of that party who is fight, who is talking about why are you registering other people to vote? There, I don't think that you would have that argument because I mean that that would help this the, the party survive is by getting more people um, registered and 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 participating in that party. So I'm ju- I'm just saying that clearly that's party politics and there is no real substantive. Uh, you know, ideology behind it. It's not something that they're harkening back to the founding fathers that the founding fathers wrote into our constitution that every American citizen needs to work for their ability to vote. Because I mean, that the reason the constitution and everything is written so easily for people, well, easily for people of, well, <laughs> let's not get into the history of who can vote and who can't vote. But in modern day, the, the walls have been broken down as to who is supposed to be able to vote any American citizen is supposed to be able to have their chance at the ballot if they so choose to exercise the, uh, the right to vote. And, uh, and I think it should be compulsory, and that's far more um, controversial than even what we're talking about here. But as a person who does believe that, at the very least, every single person should have their abilities to choose to wake up the morning of an election and participate and not be told that they cannot participate because they haven't jumped through some arbitrary hoops in terms of registration. There are no arbitrary hoops for citizenship. You're born a citizen. You're given that right based on where you're born. You get that birth certificate. I'm just saying from, the, from that base knowledge for those people, if you're born here, you, as soon as you get that birth certificate, you should be given your, your ability to vote in any election uh, any, um, within your state and, uh, and, and, and the federal legislatures. So. I'm in total agreement, uh, even with the compulsory thing. I, I'm still waiting for an argument why it, the, 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 best I could, the best I've ever heard, and I use that word in quotation marks best, is that some people aren't interested in politics and they shouldn't vote because um, I don't know what they're doing in a sense. 
I would argue that, you know, with all the information out there, there's a lot of people who don't know what they're doing, even yep. if they think they do. So it That's really right. doesn't matter. And it's such a subjective reason mm -hmm. to say that you shouldn't do this. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm with yeah. you. I just never heard a good reason why everyone shouldn't vote. Me want me to just read you the wolf update so we don't have to spend time on it? Yeah, just read it. And then we can right. end on it. Minnesota wolves are eating beavers and reshaping wetlands. <laughs> so when we talked about wolves, I was always like, why, what's the big deal? Why is it bad? And it always went down. It came back to, uh, it came back to farmers and livestock. Yeah. And this is why this clicked with me. So a new study finds that when a wolf kills a beaver, um, it, the abandoned dam falls apart and goes on, uh, unoccupied for more than a year. And it goes, the article goes into this, and I kind of knew this, so it was nice that they tied it back because I was actually going to look it up in, first in a separate article. But beavers are what biologists call ecosystem engineers uh, because the dams they create uh, create ponds and wetlands, in particular in this park in Minnesota, wetlands uh, created by, uh, and, and ponds created by beavers um, by damming waterways uh, create 13% of the park's land. Um, so, and that's ecosystems that all animals in the area kind of depend on for food and shelter and things. So when a wolf kills a beaver, it actually does have a pretty profound ripple effect on not human um, uh, activities, but natural activities. So I thought it was an interesting take on something that we had been talking about that we weren't really totally informed when we just kept blaming it on the, um, on the, on the farmers. Okay, then. So yeah, just throwing that out there, which may be interesting too, when we were talking about, well, you know, when the activists were like, yeah, they came back in their numbers, but not where they should be. Yeah. And I wonder if this is a situation where they shouldn't be there. They came back in numbers, but they're not supposed to be mm. where these beaver dams are and now yeah. look what's happening. So it's not always just about the numbers. That's just me, you know, throwing something out there. I don't know if that's right, but it, that's kind of what it made me think of too. I mean, you need balance, right? I mean, uh, uh, wolves should have a natural predator. I don't know what wolves' natural predator was pre the culling um, by uh, by um, by Western settlers. Um, so they're apex predator. They don't have one, other than yeah. But there has to be there has to there had to have been something that kept their numbers in check so that they didn't uh, grow outsized um, and and basically decimate their food population pre. Uh, Western settilization, no? No, I think the food supply, um, which is why when you have catastrophic events and the food supply goes, the big animals um, go first because they, they can't be sustained. Their numbers can't be sustained. Predators, um, uh, and to be honest, I don't know if I'm being like coy here, but humans and house cats are the only things that kill for pleasure. Uh, and a wolf isn't just going to kill unless it's threatened or hungry is kind of what I get most apex predators. So they're not going to drain their food supply, not because they even know that they would be doing that just because they're not hungry and they're not threatened. Mm -hmm. It's kind of how I always understood it. That is the balance. That is an ecosystem. Otherwise, because, all right, so then what's the hunter yeah. of the wolf hunter, right? That you could keep going yeah. down that rabbit hole and it would right. never end. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the list for okay. today. I have more, but we'll, we'll have to finish off next time. Yep. So, Jamie, where can they find us? You can find us at Twitter, at Retraction Media. Hit us up. I may actually do a poll to see what, what, um, 
what topics people like that we're covering. Um, kind of like a That's retroactive good, yeah. poll, not one that we're planning yeah. on doing, but ones that we have done to see what people okay. kind of like. Because we seem to do science, history, politics, tech. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see what, what, our, what our viewers like to listen to, or mm-hmm. listeners yeah, like to listen to. Yeah, why not? Hey, for, um, for Albert, I know you're flying right now, probably in Dubai. Um, get this <laughs> up. What do you enjoy the most? Um, just just uh, fill out the poll once when you're in the Middle East and then again when you're in Asia because um, so way we can get, uh, we get that, those two demographics right there for our listener base. So thanks, Albert. And, uh, and on that note, retraction out. <laughs> <laughs>